You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. One day and night must scramble for a living Be the wife and children Send his daily press Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with New Radio Media. And we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun while we learn. If you want to email the show, you won't be able to call in today. Uh, you can email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com. So for many of you, this is a, a holiday week. Kids are home, people are traveling, family, vacations. So I hope you're spending quality time with your children, and maybe you're listening to my show and learning as a family. What a fantastic idea. And we have good news. Good news. Here we go. Tony's going to help me with my good news. I'm not sure how we're going to work. There we go. See, we keep everyone on their toes around here. Um, we always like to talk about good news as the show continues to expand. Um, it could be it's not a big deal for some people. For me, this was a big deal. Um, we are now on iTunes. So all you got to do, it's very simple. And if I could do it, anyone could do it. Just go to iTunes, type in Let's Talk Torah, and voila, you have all my archive shows. Um, I guess on iTunes they don't do the video part. They just do the, right, so Tony gave me a nod. They only do the audio, but it sounds fantastic. Now, I was also told I'm on Google Play, but since I have an iPhone, um, I didn't test that one out yet, but I imagine it works exactly the same way. Just go in, type in Let's Talk Torah, and there you have it, all the old shows. Just another great way that we can all listen into the show. Um, later on the show, we're going to be joined by, by Rachel Beck. She, we had her on the show, I believe it was show 49. She had a, an amazing story. She was adopted from India. She went through some uh, terrible anti-Semitism after 9-11. She's had other um, um, health issues along the way. She's written a book. And she would like to come back. We'd love to have her back. So she's in the middle of a book tour right now. She hasn't made it to this part of the country. We're going to talk to Rachel um, after our first segment. But today we got to talk a new, we started a new book now. We have started the book of Exodus. If the first book called the book of Genesis is the creation of the world, the book of Exodus is the creation of the Jewish people. It's true, we had Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes, and they go down to Egypt, but that's not a nation. That's a family. That's, the, that's our roots, to be sure, but that's not a nation. We will become the Jewish nation throughout the book of Exodus, through our slavery, through the 10 plagues, through leaving Egypt, through going through the Red Sea, through receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai, through building the tabernacle, through then being in the desert for the next 40 years traveling, the Jewish people becomes a nation. But let's, uh, let's talk about the beginning of the Torah portion, how it starts out. 
So perhaps this is the first um, anti-Semitism on a national level. So the Jewish people, as I was explaining to my class today, um, started out in a ghetto. So I asked my class today, said, who knows what a ghetto is? So these are third graders. And the answers were pretty interesting. And I was, their knowledge of ghetto um, is ghettos in World War II. My daughter's doing a report on the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. So when they think of ghetto, they think of an area that uh, the Nazis threw Jews into and overcrowded and disease and just uh, an easy point to take the Jews and, and, uh, and bring them to the death camps, or to the work camps. But that's not really where the ghetto started. First of all, it started in this week's Torah portion. But throughout history, certainly in Europe, um, the Jews would, would move into an area in the cities. They would basically have the whole area, and they built walls around the, the area they lived. The purpose wasn't to keep the Jews in. It was actually to keep the world out. It was a, a way of protecting them. They were in their environment. They were with the, the same people who wanted to be religious the same way and study the Torah the same way and act the same way and bring up their families in a healthy way. So the original ghettos were a way for the Jewish people to be insular, to be insulated. People ask me all the time, you're insulated, you're closed-minded. Um, for a lot of things, especially with children, it's not such a bad thing. Today is not the day I feel like having that conversation, but uh, maybe a different day. But uh, the, I guess the first ghetto was the city of Goshen. When Jacob and the 12 tribes and the 70 soul come down to Egypt, so Joseph has them live in Goshen. Goshen is near the capital city, but it's outside of the capital city. It was really just for Jacob and his family. And the Jewish people are living there, and they're growing, and it's getting crowded. And there's a lot of exciting things happening out in the rest of Egypt. The same way, by the way, in Austria and Hungary and Germany, the Jews wanted to get out of the ghettos. They wanted the culture. They wanted the education. They wanted to be like those other nations. It didn't seem to help very much eventually, but um, that's neither here nor there. So the Jewish people are in a ghetto, and they start to move out. And the Torah portion tells us that the Jewish people started multiplying amazingly at a tremendous rate, and they move out into the land of Egypt. And then the verse says, and the Egyptians hated the Jews. Now, the Jews are trying to be like the Egyptians. And by the way, they weren't really that religious. As a matter of fact, the Talmud tells us there were three things that the Jews did to, to I guess, identify as Jews. And it wasn't keeping Sabbath, and it wasn't keeping kosher, and it wasn't fasting on Yom Kippur, it was nothing religious. They kept their language, they kept their, they kept their names, and they kept their mode of dress. Those three things identify them as being Jewish. But whatever you can imagine, I always like to put this picture in people's minds. Uh, have you ever seen what the, what the Hasidim dress like? They certainly dress um, from a different time, and it's very recognizable that they're Jewish. Even our, my own children, um, how we dress them, it's a very modest way of dress. We want people to think that they're dressed different and they're dressed modest. But just imagine for a second if you can imagine a, a very religious-looking Jew with a long beard and the hats and the coats. 
and you walk into a McDonald's and you see four of them sitting by a back table uh, enjoying a, see, I don't know what they're called, the Whoppers, the Big Mac, they for sure have all the hamburgers off, it doesn't matter. But uh, you, you're like, like, what's going on? But that's really what Egypt was all about. They weren't religious. They, they were trying to hang out with the Egyptians. So no reason the Egyptians should have hated them. But the verse says the Egyptians hated them. Why did they hate them? They're just trying to mix. They're just trying to become like the culture. So the rabbis explain, God cannot allow the Jewish people to disappear. As I probably said before, when I grew up in New York, when I was in school, um, they always would refer to America as the great melting pot. The people came from all different cultures, from all different parts of the world, give it a, a two generations, and they're American apple pie. You wouldn't know who their grandparents were, where they came from. They all became one big homogeneous, I believe is the word. That's the big word for today. Um, but in any case, they, <laughs> Americans are all Americans. People come from other countries, give them a generation or two. They look the same. They talk the same. They act the same. They dress the same. They listen to the music. They're all one big group. So why would the Egyptians hate us? So the answer is because if they're going to like us, then we would disappear. God doesn't want the Jewish people to disappear. Therefore, God put into the mind of the Egyptians, you hate Jews. And by the way, this continues throughout history. We're doing the biblical history right now. But if you think there's any difference from what happened then to what's happened throughout history, it's God making sure that Jewish people don't disappear. So the Egyptians hate the Jews, and the more the Jews increase, the more they hate them. So they, they go to Pharaoh and they say, we got to do something about these Jews. we gotta, we, 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 we got to do something. They're, they're overrunning our country. They're going to take over. They're going to throw us out of our country, whatever excuses and stuff that they manufactured. Um, there is a medrash that says that the Pharaoh didn't want to go along with a deal. He says, come on, guys. Our country is only surviving. We only exist as a wealthy world power because of Joseph. Joseph is the one that took over the country. He, he gathered all the grains. He sold the grain. He made us wealthy. We got all the world's money. We're, we're a world power. How could I go ahead and, and, and do something to his descendants? So the Medrash says that the people ousted the Pharaoh. He was out of a job. So Pharaoh, I guess, wandered around for a couple months. After a couple months, Pharaoh comes back and says, you know, where?" Uh, about the, what you asked about those Jews, I'm, I'm ready to make a, a, a decree. So the people said, oh, come on, I thought you said Joseph. And the Pharaoh says, Joseph who? So the Torah says, Pharaoh forgot Joseph. That would be like an American forgetting who George Washington was. Everybody knows George Washington. Every class I've had, they're third graders. Never had a boy, unless they came from Israel like two weeks ago, um, never had a boy who never heard of George Washington. Everybody knows George Washington. And in Egypt, everybody knows Pharaoh. I mean, I'm sorry, everybody knows Joseph. And still, Pharaoh's going to have to pretend. He's, the only way he could possibly start enacting decrees against the Jewish people is because he forgets Joseph, and he does. And the decrees begin. Now, there's, there's two things happening at once. Pharaoh has seen in his astrology that the leader of the Jewish people, Moses, is going to be born. He wants to get rid of Moses, and he also wants to stop this fantastic increase 
of the Jewish people. So plan one, slaves. Pharaoh does a, I mean, you can't just walk over to people's neighborhoods and say, now you're slaves. Um, so Pharaoh had a plan. The plan the Medrash says was that he said, help your nation day. I guess they hung up signs and, and everybody was informed that there's going to be a certain day coming up in the calendar. The, the whole nation is going to help start building storage cities. Very important. Everyone will come together. We'll be all one. We'll build those uh, storage cities. And Jews are notorious that, when, that they need to prove that whatever country they're living in, they're better than the best citizens. We do it all the time. So here also the Jews are at the front of the line. Interesting enough, one tribe didn't get involved. That was the Levite tribe. They said, we're studying. We don't, uh, we don't go out to work. We're the rabbis. We, we're the spiritual leaders. We don't go. And people were upset at them. How could you not go? Little did they know. So the Jews are out there, Egyptians are out there, they're making bricks, everyone's exciting, not knowing that there's people marking down when you're excited, how many bricks do you have the ability to make? So next day, the Egyptians start to stop working, the, uh, the Jews are continuing, but again, once you figure out, once you figure out that, um, that nobody else is working, you want to stop. When the Jews are ready to stop working, out came the soldiers and said, I don't think so. Now we have documented what you can do. You are now making bricks for the country. And that's where the slavery began. Now, generally speaking, if you got a person working day and night and he comes home and he collapses into bed uh, from exhaustion, from the crazy amount of work, so there's not going to be so many more children. But it says the Jewish people survived because of the righteous women. The righteous women convinced their husbands to stay married with them, to have children, and the Jewish people continue to increase. So, far, so the Pharaoh says, plan one, massive failure. It may have been a massive failure, but he's not letting go of his slaves. So then he actually went, and you gotta, you got to try to wrap your head around this. He went to the head midwives, like the head uh, uh, doctors, and said, when the Jewish ladies give birth, kill the baby. If it's a boy, kill the baby. If it's a girl, you can let her live. It's even hard to imagine how people could allow such a thing. But sometimes when, uh, when, uh, when people uh, have their imagination, if I don't kill the baby and it's only a baby and who cares, otherwise I'm going to die, my family's going to die. Um, so the Pharaoh imagined with these threats that the Jewish midwives would follow through on Pharaoh's plan. Pharaoh assumed that his plan would be followed through on. It made sense to him. Um, and if, if life has very little value, certainly a baby's life, if it has little value, then you can imagine it's your life and a baby's life. You pick, I'll kill you if you don't take care of the babies. That plan also failed miserably because the Jewish midwives were not going to do it. It wasn't going to happen. So when Pharaoh calls him back in and says, uh, you know, I, I don't see records of uh, all these babies dying. What's going on? So they told the Pharaoh, they said, it's... They said, you know, you can't keep secrets in our neighborhood very well. The message got out. They don't call us. They don't call us. Um, by the time we show up, the baby's born. They don't really need us. They're, they themselves are experts at helping somebody give birth. It's not working. Again, it's debatable if they were thrown in jail, if they weren't thrown in jail. Um, one of them was Moses' mother. One of those was Moses' sister. Some say it was a sister-in-law. In any case, that plan failed. The problem is that the Pharaoh sees in his astrology that the leader is going to be born. 
And uh, if he can't stop the Jewish people, he's got to stop the leader from being born. He's using his stars. And, uh, and the stars say that that leader is going gonna, is gonna to end up dying because of water. So he says, every boy that's born, throw him in the river. And that's what they started doing. And again, the leaders said, like, what's the point of having kids? They're just going to kill the kid anyways. So Moses' parents separated. They said, we'll show God. We won't have kids. Let God take care of it. So Moses' sister, who's all six years old or five years old, she says to her parents, you're worse than Pharaoh. Pharaoh's decree who said God's going to let it happen. If you're not married, for sure there won't be kids. So the parents, listen, they got married. Moses born. He's born early. And he's hidden for a couple months. And eventually, the, the, they hide Moses in the river. I mean, if everybody's being thrown into the river to die, I guess hiding in the river is the safest place you can possibly find. So Miriam is watching. And um, I guess this gets, as uh, Rabbi Beryl Wine likes to say, into God's sense of humor. The Pharaoh is the one that's been making all the plans to kill Moses. So, um, so he's having all the kids thrown into the water. His daughter, Basparo, the daughter of Pharaoh, goes to the river, sees a basket, opens the basket, sees a baby, and says, My baby! I want the baby. She brings him home, and, uh, and she and the Pharaoh end up raising Moses. So you made all these plans to kill the future Jewish leader, and not only are you not successful in killing him, you actually go ahead and you raise him. So much for God's humor. I'm not sure if that got a chuckle or not. But um, in any case, we're getting close to the break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Rachel Beck. She's going to tell us about her book tour. We're going to talk about some women's issues when we come back. I'm Rabbi Tzvi. You're listening to Let's Talk Torah and hold through the break. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. It's all right here on NewRadioMedia.com. As a business owner, you're always looking to save money and cut costs where you can. And if you advertise on radio or television, you know it can get pretty pricey. If radio and TV aren't delivering like they promised, and you're looking for a more reasonably priced way to get your message to the masses, got an answer for you. New Radio Media. With live streaming and on-demand programming, your message can be seen throughout the day, and you can worry a little less about cutting those costs. For more information, go to newradiomedia.com or call Buzz Van Houten at 248-939-9999. Surfing the internet can be good for your brain, especially if you're getting up there in years. UCLA scientists say that the internet searching helps to stimulate your brain function by triggering centers in your brain that control decision making and complex reasoning. In a study to be published in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry, the researchers say that using the internet to seek out new information might stimulate the brain enough to sustain brain health and your cognitive ability. Before the computer age, the one activity that was linked to an active mind was solving crossword puzzles. 
The fact that even simple tasks like searching the internet might enhance your brain circuitry suggests that our brains are really sensitive to mental exercise and actually continue to learn as we grow older. So using an internet search engine such as Google produces the same brain activities as reading, but it also increases activity in areas of your brain that control decision making and complex reasoning. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we're back. And our next guest, Rachel Beck, a returning guest, so kind of her, professional photographer, author of the recently released book, Finding Your Way, When Life Changes Your Plans. Rachel, how are you today? Hi, Rabbi. How are you? You sound great. Actually, much better than last time we were on the phone. So where are you now? Oh, okay. Where? Go ahead. I live in Iowa. Iowa. That's much further than, was it Kansas City? Yes. Mm -hmm. Iowa. What gets you up in Iowa? A relocation for a company job. So how's the weather in Iowa? It's very cold. (laughs) (laughs) But the people are very kind and loving and welcoming. Excellent. Before we get to the topics you wanted, I, I, I just wanted to ask you, how is the book tour going? The book tour has been wonderful. I, I believe that the goal that I'm trying to do the book is being conveyed with my goal of inspiring people and helping them so that they don't feel so alone. I recently, the week of Hanukkah, spoke in Connecticut, Long Island, and New Jersey, uh, I was in Connecticut over Hanukkah. I was in Danbury. Where were you? Stamford, Connecticut. I mean, not too far, but uh, but I was with family, so they would have gotten nervous if I would have packed out for a book tour. But I am so happy to hear the book tour is going well, and I am looking forward to when you get your book tour up to the Midwest part of the country, or at least the Detroit area, and I'm sure that will happen soon. I would love to come and meet you. Yes, we're gonna. It's gonna happen, but you know, life changes. Things happen. We'll figure it out. Um, so I, I think even before we 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 actually start some of the topics that you sent me, I want you to think about something fascinating. So in last week's Torah portion, so Jacob has his whole family back. And he has Joseph. He has the kids. They're gonna go down to Egypt. Joseph will take care of them. And when, when Jacob goes down to Egypt, so his son Joseph has to bring him in front of Pharaoh. When he goes in front of Pharaoh, Pharaoh looks at this man who looks like he's a thousand years old. Jacob looks ancient. And Pharaoh asks a question that I teach my children is inappropriate. And Pharaoh says to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob says, I'm not as old as I look. I've had a rough life. But actually, it was considered complaining, and because of the complaint, Jacob actually loses 33 years from his life. Um, And I know what your answer is, but I'm going to ask the question anyways, because I want people to hear it from you. Um, Do you look back at some of the trials, tribulations you've gone through in your life in a bitter way, or things are looking up and uh, the past made you who you are? I believe, and I've just realized this, uh, 
recently that this might be the moment for all the things that have happened to me. And I'm learning to take the negativity and turn it into positivity and to shift the way I think. Excellent. I was so hoping you were going to say that answer. I actually was re-listening to our show. It was show, show 49. And you said similar things then, but I, I think it's crystallizing. I, I think you're really believing it. But I, I guess, agree with you. Okay. No, I agree with you. I think it's, you know, all, um, you know, you have some self-doubt. I'm not a person with a huge self-esteem, and I'm starting to learn and discover myself more. Okay. So once we're still talking about the, the, the book tour, um, what are people asking you? Oh, wow. Um, I got a lot of questions about how, to, how did I pick myself up again? Um, I got questions about courage, strength. How do you find that? That's and what, a very common theme. And what do you tell them? I, now I'm curious. So what do you tell them? How do you find the courage to stand up when you get knocked down? My family and my friends. Um, and that I have so many positive people in my life that I just love and adore. And then my niece and nephews who are younger, I, need, I feel like I want to be a positive role model for them. And is it working? And I won't know till they're older. They're still, you know, middle school, junior high, high school ages. But a lot of them know, you know, what their aunt's been through. And when they get, when it's, you know, they get older and they read the book, but they'll talk to me about it. Very good. Excellent. And I didn't get my copy yet. I have to figure out how to get my copy. We're going to work on that later. Um, but in any case, um, last time, we spoke a lot about your, your life. Um, why don't you give us a quick synopsis, and then we'll get into the topics you really wanted me to talk about today. Sure. Thank you, Rabbi. So I was born in India. Uh, my biological mother died two days after giving birth. And there was a man who took care of me, and we're trying to figure out if he was my biological father or not. We're yet to confirm that. And then I was taken to a woman who built an orphanage, a uh, family village farm, which is still in existence today. And I stayed in her home until I was adopted by a white Jewish family. And I grew up in the United States, and I go back to India every couple years. Amazing. And you wrote this book to talk about your life, talk about what you came from, talk about what you went through. And um, so the women's issues that we're going to talk about, and I'm going to let you uh, help me lead my way through all the different ones, which ones you want to talk about, which ones you want me to stay away from. Um, why are women's issues, and most of them we're really talking are more physical, some emotional, um, why is it an important topic to you? Because I feel like it's been a huge part of my life, um, battling endometriosis for over 20 years not being able to biologically have a child, that's, that shaped me because I had always wanted to be a mother and I thought that that's what was going to happen. I got married and I thought that that was the next step. And I found out that that was not my plan. And I had to come into acceptance 
and figure redefine myself who I am as a woman. And I learned that being a woman without children doesn't mean you're less of a woman. That is so well said. I'm starting writing down my own notes over here because I like to write down what people tell me. But I, I, I think that's probably what people are going to, I hope, want to learn from you. In other words, the world looks at women um, that they're supposed to be mothers because people had mothers. They grew up. They had a mother. The mother took care of them. And for a, a lady or a woman to not be able to have children, so now she can't be a mother. So is she something less so I think you're trying to teach people absolutely not. You're not less. You're just, you have different challenges in life than what other people have in life. Do I have that sort of right? This, you stated it perfectly. Oh, good. I'm absolutely. getting so good at this. Oh, excellent. So, um, okay, so we can really start almost anywhere you want. Uh, but you mentioned to people, and I'll probably pronounce it wrong, that you've had endometriosis. Did I say that right? Yeah, endometriosis. What, um, what is that? I was diagnosed um, in the early 90s with it. Um, endometriosis is when you have the lining, you know, that women shed every month. They yes. have the endometrium lining. And for women with endometriosis, instead of going down, it can um, go to other parts of your body and grow on different areas. Now, does that affect um, fertility in women? Is it, does it cause pain? What does it do? Um, it's extremely painful. Um, for me, I was, there was different stages of endometriosis, and I was stage four. Um, so when I had my first of many surgeries, um, it had grown like on the back of my uterus, my fallopian tubes, my ovaries, which is not the most hospitable environment to try to have a baby right right very hard so there's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of suffering there's a lot of there's a lot of pain and did that lead to your infertility that was the reason that was the cause or the doctors are clueless uh that was pretty much the underlying cause for me for my personal situation i know every endometriosis situation is different but for me that was pretty much what they figured out uh-huh. So, so I, just as a, as a, I hate to dig too deep. As soon as I get too far, you let me know. Um, are there ways, are there fertility doctors that say they can help these situations or they're just bluffing? You know, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I'm okay saying that, you know, um, I worked with one um, and it didn't, it didn't work for me. So I'm assuming it has to do how your biological, you know, how, you, how your body's makeup is. Uh, so, uh, so did you ever, so it's so interesting. Last week um, we had an Aaron A. Kaplan on, and he actually has a, a song. He has a, uh, he's a composer, a very interesting fellow. And he has a song that was actually written about, uh, the purpose was, was to encourage people to adopt foster children that are older. Um, have you ever thought of going in that direction? You know, um, adoption is, is not a route that worked out for us. Um, but what I'm trying to do now is just help where I came from. 
you know, by just giving back to the orphanage. And and I think that those are the children in my life that I'm supposed to help. Then I'm glad that you've refocused and figured out how you can can help people, which we're going to talk about when you come back. I hope you hold through the break. We have more things to talk about with my friend Rachel Beck. So please hold through the break. I'm Rabbi Tzvi. You're listening to Let's Talk Torah, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. Bury the phone in the Bat Cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> Welcome back to the Craig Folly Show. Our votes don't matter. I, and I always disagree. Doing this show, I feel like I get like a little bit of time to chit-chat with the man. Yeah. I fell in love with. Oh. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. Writer, producer, director. How did this whole thing come about for you? The latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. The BG song "Staying Alive" just might help someone you know stay alive. It's one of those beats you just can't get out of your head once it's there. And it turns out the disco song has 103 beats per minute, which happens to be the perfect number to maintain the rhythm for performing CPR. A study out of Illinois found that doctors and medical students who listened to the song while they were practicing CPR not only performed flawlessly, but they also remembered the technique five weeks later. The keys to CPR are performing the technique aggressively that is pushing hard enough and pushing on the chest fast enough to force the blood to where it needs to go. So when it comes to proper technique, it turns out that compressing the chest to the beat of staying alive really can help the victim stay alive. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we're back with Rachel Beck. Rachel, are you still there? Yes, Rabbi. Great. So we're talking again some physical um, difficulties. You've certainly had the anamitrosis and, and the infertility and not being able to adopt and other surgeries and stuff. You know, that's the physical. Um but what about the, the emotional part? I mean, you know, thank God you're still married. I hope you have a strong marriage. But um, infertility in marriages causes a lot of stress. How do you deal with it? Uh, you know what? I've been very blessed with who I'm married to. Um, he's gone through the whole process with me. And if anything, for us, as close as we are, all those experiences just brought us closer to be there for each other and to support each other was really important. Uh, there was no blame involved um, on either side, and I think that that was really, really important. He just was like, I love you, period, the end. And that was really important for me to hear. You know what? I, I must tell you on this one, Rachel, you are very, very lucky. 
because unfortunately, there's many people out there that their marriage cannot survive that type of emotional stress. So when you have a partner who's with you instead of just like there, it's it's really quite, quite amazing. You are quite blessed. And I don't take it for granted. Good. I don't take it for granted. I, I had a question for you. Please. And it's just, um, I, you know, and it's more like philosophical. Um, in the Torah, you know how they talk about be fruitful and multiply? Yes. Okay. So I was wondering, just doing some research before we spoke, and that's supposed to be like a mitzvah. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So if you can't do that, based on biological reasons or personal choice reasons, are you still accepted? Okay, so, you know, I was expecting a different question. I'm busy teaching my son to pay attention to the question, so he'll get him right on his test. Accepted is the wrong word. In other words, there's a command to be fruitful and multiply. So now the question is, but I can't. So now what? So now I'm going to sort of re-ask the question a little different. Um, As an example, a king has certain mitzvos or commands that a regular person doesn't have. He can only have have 18 wives. Um, He's not allowed to build up a huge army or a huge treasury. He has rules and regulations. He has his own mitzvos. Or another example, a priest has certain mitzvos uh, because he's a priest. Certain things he has to eat. Certain people, um, he can't do funerals for certain people. Men have certain mitzvot that ladies don't have. Um, an interesting one is there's a mitzvah to redeem a firstborn child. So I happen to have had a firstborn son. My married children all had girls. So what happens? What, they have to get married and try all over again? That's, that's ridiculous. So the answer is that if, you know, I tell my class, I'm dealing with third graders, so you have to know how to explain stuff. So I tell my class there are three people involved in having children. There's the mother, there's the father, and there's God. So the mother and father's job is to try to have children. God, though, can decide you're not having children. Or God can decide you're having X amount of children. So I, the mitzvah is to do, to do your part. If God says no, so God said no. So therefore... You don't you you were not given the opportunity to fulfill that mitzvah. It's not a it's not an X on your report card. It's just um, it's not applicable. You know what I mean? Thank you, Rabbi. I've always wondered the answer to that. I'm so glad you asked me that question. That was such a good question. Any other questions? It's been it's been weighing on my heart for a long time, and I've always wanted to know. You have my email. Next time. Email me, or you have my phone number. Okay. So next time, next time you'll ask me beforehand, then I'll tell you, ask that question on the show. But really, you know, Rachel, anytime you want, yeah. you email me, I tell it straight. Straight as an Thank arrow. Um, so I tell you what, I, I, I know we're going to, I have like two questions left for you. Um, but, but being that you have to rediscover yourself and what you need to do as a woman, um, and I'm not a political person, but how do you look at the Me Too movement? I think it takes a lot of courage for women to use their voices um, and to and to stand up. I think it's I think it can be very powerful, especially women who women who have been victims of assault. 
And I, I, I think it's courageous. Okay. Because, what I mean, do you look at, I mean, you, you yourself use those words. You use the words that you have to be courageous for what you do. Because you're afraid that people look at you um, as less than because you can't have children. Yes. So I, in this, I'm trying to find the courage, um, and it's it's just been important, you know, between that the endometriosis and then having the hysterectomy and really feeling that that was my womanhood, you know, gone physically. I had to learn that the core of me is still the same. If the physical is not there, then the the soul is there. I hope that makes sense. You know, it actually makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I wonder, um, here's another big word. Um, do you sometimes think that your book t- tour is cathartic for you, not just for the people that you're trying to inspire? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that I'm, I'm meeting, you know, women who have endometriosis, have had a hysterectomy, uh, I spoke to them about the same emotions that I had about, am I still a woman? Am I still feminine? So just being in that support group, you know, the back and forth, it's been it's been very healing on many levels. Yeah, so you, you know that the, the next step is supposed to be that you have to create a website and you have to create an organization where women who are going through what you're going through have someone to talk to, right? You know that's what you're supposed to do next, and then you'll be so famous you won't have time to come on my show anymore. I will always be on your show. Thank you. That's so kind. But I I am serious. No, 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 no. I'm just teasing. But Mm -hmm. but do you, in the back of your mind, do you think that's a direction you want to go? To create... Uh to create that organization where where women who feel less than for uh, 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 so many different reasons and that they can look at you and say, I'm fine, so I, so I can't have children, so I'm going through surgeries that men are clueless about, but that doesn't make me less than. Do, did you ever think about doing that? Are you looking for that? You know, I haven't thought about it, but you might have planted a seed. Um, you know, there's a lot of emotions involved through all of it. Um, and I, you know, had a, I'm very for therapy and had a wonderful therapist help me through the process. So I don't know, you, you might have planted a seed. Cool. And you're going to let me know how that seed germinates. Well, that is three big words in one show. I'm going to have to get a bonus. Um, before I let you go, Rahul, um, you told me you have a lot of goals for the world. So in just, uh, just our ending uh, hello for today, um, what are those goals that you're looking to accomplish? How do you think you're going to accomplish them? I think by speaking and connecting on a human level, um, I think there's a lot of benefits for social media, but I'm one of those people who still loves to sit down and have a conversation face-to-face, and I'm hoping through meeting that, the people through the book tour and that have been contacting me, I'm hoping that it will become like when you drop a rock in the water and there's a ripple effect, so the 50 people in the room are going to take the story out and then help their nieces or daughters or granddaughters. That's what I'm hoping. Well, I think it's a fantastic goal. Um, I hope you're successful. And uh, we've been speaking 
with Rachel Beck, author of Finding Your Way, When Life Changes Your Plans. Now, really, I should be fair. If you look the book up online, you will not find Rachel's name as the author. And I remember from last time, I couldn't even pronounce it if I tried. Um, who's the official author, Rachel? Um, so I used the pen name, and the pen name is V. Lakshmi. And that was my Indian name when I was born, and I wanted to honor where I came from. Great. And the book is on Amazon? It is. Great. So go to Amazon, pick up this fantastic book, Finding Your Way, When Life Changes Your Plans. Rachel, as always, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate the question. And you know you have my phone number. You can call me or email me whenever you have any questions. Thank you, Rabbi, so much for having me. And I'm, I might take you up on your offer and not hold on to a question so long. Excellent. Okay, Rahul, be well. Thank you again. Thank you. Okay, amazing. What you know, these you watch people grow and change and become. She is a very fascinating lady. One day she'll sit here when we get her up here for a book tour. We're we're working on it. Anyways, in my few minutes left till the break, so we're talking about the Torah portion. We're talking about how Moses is raised in Pharaoh's palace. But eventually Moses goes out, sees what's happening, kills an Egyptian, runs for his life. And eventually ends up in an area called Midian, and he meets Jethro. Jethro was a famous advisor. He was a famous high priest. So now Moses has moved into, like, the world's pope, is now who Moses is uh, living by. And he marries one of Jethro's daughters. Jethro has seven daughters. So he marries her. And he's going to hang out in Midian until God sends a message, uh, it's time to come home. And God does send that message where Moses are familiar. Moses sees that bush burning. He's, he's shepherding the sheep. And as we see throughout the Torah, the leaders were always shepherds. The, the patriarchs were shepherds. The, the tribes were shepherds. Um, David, King David is a shepherd. And Moses is a shepherd. The idea is if you can shepherd sheep and sheep need individual attention, if you can take care of the individual sheep, then certainly or hopefully um, you can take care of people. So, so therefore, uh, Moses is a shepherd. And when God is ready, so God sends a message. He has that bush exploding in fire. And if you've ever made a campfire, you know, the twigs of a bush just... Uh, they crumble so quickly that the fire shoots up in the sky and then 30 seconds later it's gone. And this bush is a roaring fire and it doesn't stop. So Moses said, i got to check it out, which is exactly what God wanted. So Moses approaches. Um, his eyes get used to first the bright light of the bush and then he'll get used to the holiness of an angel and then he'll see God's presence. And God will now have a week-long conversation trying to convince Moses that you, you're the man you got to go take the Jewish people out. Now, what's fascinating is if you were going to choose someone to take the Jewish people out who's got to go speak to the Pharaoh and speak to the people and convince everyone and give over God's message, you're not choosing Moses. Moses has a terrible speech impediment. That's my fourth big word, by the way, for the day. Um, Moses burned his lips on a coal. It's a different story. No time for that today. But he burned his lips and his tongue on a coal. He cannot pronounce eight, I believe, either eight or ten letters in the Jewish alphabet. 
He can't talk. You can't listen to him. Imagine a politician today who gets up and sounds like he has golf balls in his mouth. You may say that you're for all people and you want to help all disabilities, but he's not becoming a politician. He can't talk. Moses can't talk. And God says, I don't care. If I was worried about you talking, I'd fix your speech. I'm not trying to fix your speech. I want you to be the leader. You are going to be the leader. So after the week of convincing, God says, I mean, God says, okay, that's it, Moses, you're going. Moses agrees, and Moses will make his way down to Egypt and start to talk to the Pharaoh. We got one quick segment left. Hold through the break. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah, and we'll be right back. Do you want to see things like this? Did you just say you died? <laughs> well, I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out Podquesters, the show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous tricks. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Oh. Anyways, Podquesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a five-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Wald Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. Want to stay informed, entertained, and enlightened? Get connected and stay connected today to New Radio Media. The New Radio Media app is now available for download in the Apple and Google Play Store. Just search for NRM Streams for unlimited access to archived, live, new, exciting, and unique content. Welcome to Geektainment Weekly, all for free. Do it now. Stay connected. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed my friend Rachel who came back. And one day we'll get her in studio. In any case, um, we're ready for our next poster, our next letter. And I get the thumb. We are ready. We are up to the letter Vav. It's really just a straight line. In handwriting, it would be the first letter you teach a child to write. It's just a straight up and down line. On the poster, it's a little fancier. Uh, The letter is called Vav. What's fascinating about this letter is um, there may not be any real root word that begins with this letter. Perhaps people will say a vered, which is a rose. Perhaps people will say the word vav, which is a hook, but it's quite debatable. So instead of the um, instead of a a a, a word, um, my word this week is the letter vav. I want you to know how the letter works. A fascinating letter. The letter means and. If the above is placed in front of a word, that's in place of and, A-N-D. What's fascinating is, in biblical Hebrew, this is only true for biblical grammar. It is not true for modern spoken Hebrew. 
It's not even true for old written Hebrew. Any Hebrew you would find in a book besides the Torah, this rule does not apply. And it's a fascinating rule. Um, in, in, in biblical grammar, and probably modern Hebrew grammar also to a certain extent, um, the, the, you build words. And as sentences are made up of words. In other words, you have your root verb, and then you add something to the beginning of that word, it will make it future tense, it will make it past tense, it will make it he, you, they, I. All that gets becomes conjugated, I guess if that's the right word, um, with the word. In biblical Hebrew, if you add this letter vav to a future tense word, many times it turns it to past tense. And the same if you turn, if you take a past tense word and you put a vav in front of it, many times, again, it's not a perfect rule, but many times it'll take the past tense and turn it into future tense and future tense and turn it into past tense. That happens to be the grammar that I spend most of my year working on my students with to, you know, to wrap their heads around the fact, see, they're third graders, so they're not deep thinkers. They just, if this is the rule, this is the rule, and they get used to it. But it's really a fascinating rule that you learn all the rules of grammar for future tense and you find out that this little letter vav flips it. Why do I have this little letter vav flipping things? Why did the Torah create this kind of grammar? It's just such an unusual type of grammar. Like, why is it necessary? So many years ago, I heard an answer. Um, God, one of God's names, actually means that God is. God was, is, and will be. So God always was, always is present, and always will be. That concept of past tense, present tense, and future tense, the Torah wants you to understand God is all of these tenses at once. So would you say future, you could say in past. Would you say in past, you say in future. That's representative of who and what God is. God was, is, and will be. So that's an interesting thought on that fascinating letter. So um, before I have a great story, the, the, unlike last week's story, I hope you understood last week's story was not true, unlike my third graders who were not so sure. Um, the story I'd like to tell you is true, but I, I got to lead you into it. So um, the last conversation where Moses is arguing with God, if Moses should become the leader or not, um, like any good salesman knows, when somebody says no, the first reason he gives for no is never the real reason. The good salesman has to learn how to get through all the problems that the purchaser has. And usually the last reason is the main reason. And if you can fix the last reason, you got the sale. So Moses' final reason is my brother Aaron will be jealous. My brother Aaron's been the leader all these years. I'm going to walk in and say, hi, bro. How's it going? Um, you're out of a job. That Moses could not do to his brother. On that, actually, Moses is punished. God says, your brother will be happy to see you. Um, he's going to, he's, it'll be a true emotional happiness. And because of that, Aaron will merit to some of the priestly garments. And uh, so Moses takes the job, but even in taking it, he was held back a little bit. So here's the story. There's a father who wants to name his son. The name of the son was Yochanan. And, uh, but he had a problem. Unfortunately, his neighbor had a child by that same name, Yochanan, and the child had recently passed away. 
So the father wasn't sure if it's, an, if it's appropriate to give the name. So he goes to the rabbi, and he says to the rabbi, is it appropriate for me to give the name Yochanan? So the rabbi actually says, it is not appropriate. There's a lot of nice Jewish names. Find another name. So the father says, rabbi, I'm not a superstitious kind of person. I don't believe in superstition. What's the problem? The rabbi says, you completely misunderstood me. This has nothing to do with superstition. Just think for a second. Two or three years from now, your child, Yochanan, will be playing out in the street. Your wife will yell out the front door, out the window, Yochanan, come here. What is the other mother going to think? She's going to hear her son's name being called, and she's going to be reminded that her son passed away. How could you do that to your neighbor? So that's really what it's all about. In other words, sometimes we have to, and rabbis are excellent at that, we have to focus in, we have to know when we're being sensitive, when we're being insensitive, certainly now with families around, with the holidays around. Uh, we have to be careful. There's a lot of people, a lot of family. People have different issues in life, like we spoke over the last uh, hour with Rachel all about it. We have to learn to be sensitive to other people's issues. And my time has flown by. So I want to thank all our wonderful sponsors and listeners. I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team, Tony, Kelsey, Alana, Drew. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Make sure you enjoy your vacation with your children. Until next week, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah, New Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.